This is the 20th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, Pro, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. Recorded show today, uh, kicking off a week. I'm at. Well, I'm looking at the forecast right now based on when we're recording this. It is a wet, rainy, and potentially snowy day today on Lake Washita for the second Bassmaster Open EQ. Uh, but I wanted to get a couple shows in the can, and one of those was an angler that's been on the radar of uh, the professional fishing scene well, literally for the last couple of years, because legally, I think he's only been able to fish uh, at the top level so since you're 18, so four years. So, But uh, an angler from my home state, also Illinois, which I'm also uh, very excited about. Obviously, you know, uh, Chad Morgan Taylor came from central Illinois. Uh, there's an, uh, a number of uh, different Illinois anglers comes to mind up by Chicago. Long time elite series angler. Long time ago, he'd have the gold rim glasses. He'd sit on the front. Doc Merkin, he's another Illinois angler. But right now, the Illinois angler that is making waves on the Bass Pro Tour is just coming off of a third place finish on Toledo Bend, 21 years old. And that is none other than Drew Gill. Drew, uh, nice to meet you. First of all, it's not too often I get a first time BTLer, so excited to uh, excited to get to know you today on BTL. Congratulations on your recent finish, and thanks for jumping on BTL. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm ready to talk fishing. We are definitely going to talk fishing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, it's crazy to me. You know, it used to be when I first started covering this, and I'm dating myself. I'm almost 40, man. It's it's hard to believe that because uh, you look at the young guys coming up, and it used to be like, oh, you you hear this young guy, and then he'd have a couple good tournaments, and then he'd qualify, and then you'd say, well, let's give him three years on the Elite Series or two years on the FLW Tour, and if he survives that, then he's a, he's an established pro, uh, and it was like a five or six year process to kind of get to the scene to get recognition, dude. There's like a dozen 18 to 23-year-olds right now where you guys just come in. You say, I don't care how old everyone else is, how much experience everyone else is. I'm going to kick butt, and you are squarely one of those anglers right now. So, I mean, a couple like two years ago, you were fishing college stuff. Now you're banging it out with DC, Jacob Wheeler, Zach Burge, the guys at the top of the Bass Pro Tour making hundreds of thousands of dollars. What do you think it is that's allowed you guys in your early 20s to make such an impact at the top level of professional bass fishing so quickly? I mean, this isn't the case for everybody, but uh, for about half of those anglers at least, um, <clears throat> one of the biggest factors with coming out and, and doing so well so fast is college fishing. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, my roommate, Cole Breen, last night who fished for Drury. Um, about this. And we were talking about how, you know, this is both our second year fishing uh, at the invitationals level or above. And, and on surface level, that's, that's two years of fishing. You know, this is the start of second year, but when you look at college fishing and all the places we go and the, the frequency with which we go to these events, 
this is my, you know, fourth year of doing this full time where I fish, you know, over a dozen major tournaments a year. Like that's, in my opinion, the time on the water afforded by college fishing. And uh, a lot of guys that are my age affinity for using forward facing sonar is just a, a deadly combination for understanding places really, really fast. Where did you fish uh, collegiately? <clears throat> so when I was uh, still technically am in college, but uh, <laughs> uh, when I was fishing college tournaments, um, <clears throat> I fished for Wabash Valley College, which is a community college in Illinois for two mm-hmm. years. And then uh, <clears throat> I finished up my degree or am finishing it up at Campbellsville University in Kentucky. Okay. What's your degree in? Business marketing. I mean, it's, really? it's kind is of, that a, a, is that a yeah. fishing degree? Like you're looking at that as something to go hand in hand with your future. <clears throat> yeah, man, that was, uh, that was my intention when I, when I went into college was to get something that would kind of lead me into the industry. But I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Business marketing is a bit of a cop-out degree. I would say there's probably 80 to about 80% of the entire college fishing field is, is business emphasis and marketing. As a communications degree, I feel like you have to throw communications in there as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but sure. but I mean, there has I, to be some definitely some stuff <laughs> that you learn from that. I know. Uh, well, gra- granted, I do a podcast, so communications ended up actually being fairly helpful. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, there has to be some stuff from some from college that you can apply. I mean, you have a, a pretty deep sponsor portfolio for being a twenty-one year old. Yeah, man. It's. I mean, <clears throat> one of the you know, it's it's something that like marketing side of it is kind of an intangible sometimes you can absolutely it's something you can learn and and apply and and try and study but ultimately you know me i'm I'm a very social person to begin with Mm -hmm. and if you can have the personal relationships part meet the professionalism if you have both of those it's really easy to you know work with the companies that you work with and, and all the fans and everybody in a very very professional manner when you can have both the ability to be presentable and social at the same time. <clears throat> so growing up in Mount Carmel, Illinois, mm-hmm. and I opened this cause there, there hasn't really been, am I missing someone? Has there been, and I'm not saying you're there yet and I don't want to put any, any pressure on you for this, but has there been a superstar that's come <laughs> out of Illinois? Trey. Like, uh, Trey McKinney, who's, well, he's not a superstar yet. He's 18 years old. He has potential as well. But listen, I grew up fishing Illinois, Assumption Bass Club, middle of the state. Uh, it's not a hotbed for tournament fishing. And it's not like you're growing up on Gunnersville or Toledo Bend or even down in Florida or the Carolinas or out on the West Coast. Is this something that you've known you've always wanted to do? And then how have you honed your skills in Illinois to be able to take it on a national level so quickly? Man, you know, I think growing up in a place like Illinois is somewhere that, that although you see a low frequency of anglers coming from parts of the country that are kind of off the wall or, or not applicable to the way we fish in, in lots of Southern and Eastern impoundments, but when you come from a place like that, either you're destined to really struggle or if you can drop the habit that you create by, by growing up fishing in those areas. And now you've, you've learned how to deal with tournaments, deal with fishing pressure on small lakes, deal with, with tougher fisheries. But you just look at that at the macro level. You don't say micro level. 
I know that when it's cloudy, I'm going to throw a black jig with purple skirt material in it. Like if you look at it at a macro level, I've learned how to deal with lots of fishing pressure on tough fisheries. And you take that and you apply that, the general concepts, but understand that the fishing style that you learn around the house really isn't that applicable elsewhere. Uh, you, you get really dangerous in a hurry because you have the, the mental skills and stability to deal with, with difficult you know, conditions, deal with adversity. But you also have the open mindset because you're not taking any sort of fishing style and trying to apply it everywhere. You're just going to fishery and trying to fish it for the fishery. That's uh, answer beyond your years. So Illinois fisheries, are we talking like Shelbyville, Clinton? Like what are we, what kind of fisheries did you, uh, so, I, I hate to use the term grow up fishing, but what kind of fisheries have you fished in the past six, seven years? Yeah. So the, the stuff in Illinois that I fish, I mean, for the most part, I fish like Clinton, mm-hmm. fish Lake of Egypt. Uh, I loved Lake of Egypt. That was, we start Lake of Egypt out every year and it'd be like, dude, we can catch a limit on Lake of Egypt, depending on the slot. I was always pumped to start Lake of Egypt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you can keep this 12 to 14 inches. Oh, absolutely. Um, (laughs) But I fish a lot on, on Newton Lake as well, which is one that, you know, it's not as big of a lake, but it, it, uh, definitely deserves the hype it gets. It's been on the Bassmaster Lakes ranking most Mm -hmm. years for the last 10 years. And it's a lot of pressure really. A lot of pressure. I mean, any given day, there's going to be 50 plus boats on like seven miles long and uh, they, they're smart, but man, that's a place that it kicks out giant bags. I've caught one bag over 30 there. And over the course of the summer, I catch at least half a dozen bags over 25. I mean, it's got big, big ones. Um, so that, you know, fishing them around the house, most of our lakes are pretty tough, but uh, we have a couple Newton and a, a couple others that are really, really good. And so you get a good dose of, of fishing tough fisheries, but also the ones that are really good, you learn how to catch big fish that are pressured because all are, even the ones that are good, they're small lakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you learn how to, how to just, uh, because when you get the opportunity to fish for a bunch of fish in that four or five to six pound class range, you get a lot better in a massive hurry because you learn how big fish behave, what they relate to and what things you got to do to trigger them under different conditions. And uh, ultimately, if you're doing it on a small lake where you're almost always fishing for the same exact populations of fish on the same places, but you're learning how to do it under different times of the year, different conditions, and, and with different amounts of pressure, uh, it, it gets you really honed to catching those big fish under the most adverse conditions possible. You know, when we think about it in tournament fishing, we think of Florida, we think of the TVA, places where you've got big fish fisheries, but those big fish aren't very dumb. And uh, that's, that's definitely something that, you know, adapting to fishing pressure, I think is the most important variable that when people do get good in a part of the country, like where I'm from, they, they get really good, really fast. Just as far as being comfortable on the water, then uh, I fish collegiately, I fish after, but it takes a number of years to just get comfortable with the travel, with being in the boat by yourself, with learned rough water, with Mm -hmm. navigating. Were you put in a boat by yourself at a, at a young age to where you were making decisions, uh, as a teenager? Is that something that the collegiate fishing really helps you with? But I mean, you're, you're making those decisions on the top level now with not a lot of years of experience, which is impressive to me. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I grew up fishing, but I didn't grow up tournament fishing. I I think I fished my first tournament when I was like 16. Uh, That's when I really got into like competitive tournament fishing. So I didn't have lots of years of experience. Like the first, okay, but the first places I went, 
whenever I started uh, fishing. You know, I, I looking back at it now, I probably pr- picked some pretty poor places and times to try and start, you know, going to bigger lakes. But like I, I went to Table Rock and Cumberland in the fall. I, Kentucky Lake's two hours from my house, and I started. I really truly started trying to find fish on a lake that's 189 <laughs> miles long or whatever. Um, and and I, I put myself through Lake St. Clair when I first bought a bass boat and didn't know what I was getting into. And and oh. so, you know, I I got a between, you know, lakes like Kentucky and St. Clair and getting used to running a boat in rough water and, and going to places like Table Rock and Cumberland in the fall when you got gin clear water, really tough fishing uh, and, and really hard to com- get fish to commit. I mean, I, even in just a year of, of getting to experience a couple new places, like me and my dad would pack up and we'd drive and we'd go fish these places for two days and turn around and drive back before I, I had school or he had to go back to teaching. And so we'd get a, I'd get a little snapshot. And then when I started college fishing, I mean, college fishing, like it drops you on places that really, to be perfectly honest, college fishermen probably shouldn't be. I mean, in college I fished, I fished in Florida multiple times. I fished the TVA, almost the entire TVA. I fished multiple lakes in South Carolina, North Carolina. I fished multiple lakes in Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Mm. I fished, you know, in Wisconsin. I fished in Michigan. I fished in New York. Like we got sent to Saginaw Bay as college anglers. <laughs> we got kids that are out here that have never been in a boat in a tournament without a boat captain. And they're going out on Saginaw Bay in 47 footers. Like it's when you get into the college fishing thing with the scheduling that they do and the, the high octane, like tournament to tournament to tournament you do all year, you're getting thrown to the dogs. It is. What made you want to jump in that first tournament when you were like 16 years old? You mentioned you'd always fish, but was there one thing that, that pushed you towards that? Is your family into it? Did your dad tournament fish? My dad tournament fished when I was very young, but then he kind of, for a long time, when I started fishing, we just fun fished. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's what we did my entire childhood. And then I'm an extremely competitive person. I feel like whenever you become a, a tournament angler, it's because it's just where the blend of, of loving bass fishing, and being a hyper competitive, you know, play three sports a year kind of kid, it's where those combine. And I I played sports my entire childhood, and there there came a point where you know I was I was trying to decide what direction you know whether I wanted to go full in on on like golf or baseball or whether I wanted to you know just keep exploring different stuff. And then and then I bought a bass boat, and that was the big thing. It's like once I bought a boat, an actual bass boat that I could take to bigger fisheries and and go you know fish on the weekend or whatever like that's when i was like you know i feel like this is something i want to try and do and it you know fishing professionally wasn't really on the radar at that time that was something that you know did you follow it like Like, were you a big fan of the sport or yeah so when i was about 17 i'd say like a year into, into getting into competitive fishing that's when i really like i that's when i started just indulging myself in just about all of the the professional bass fishing content I can watch. And I mean, so 2019, you know, not growing up 2018, yeah. 2019, 2018, 2019, uh, not growing up watching it my entire childhood. I had a lot to catch myself up on. So, I mean, I, I don't know how many hours I spent watching old FLW and Bassmaster tournaments, but it was thousands of hours. <clears throat> do you think a lot, do you, do you think you learned a lot off of the water watching the YouTube? This is an interesting case study to me because you're a generation that has had has everything at their fingertips as far as the information that the guys before would be like, yeah, don't show that bait. That's my secret bait for the next five years because there was no live. They lie about all this stuff, but like you can get on. And if you want to learn about Lake Okeechobee, there's 150 hours of tournament coverage from Lake Okeechobee. Yeah. Like as you started traveling in college to these fisheries, 
were you applying what you watched and learned on YouTube and on social media and actually seeing success with it on the water to where it reduced your learning curve and it wasn't as intimidating? I'll say early on, like my freshman year, especially, uh, it was a big player for me to get on and, and do YouTube research, do previous tournament research to do map study at home and like do all these things to at least make it easier for me to break it down on the fly once I got there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, as you go along, I feel like those things do tend to play less and less of a role just because my, in my tournament success in my, my tournament history over the last two years, really a lot of the times where I've really like competed to win an event, it's been on something pretty non-traditional. Uh, I think like the Toyota series championship at Gunnersville two years ago, uh, that I finished third in, like nobody was fishing around the middle of the lake at Gunnersville for single suspended fish. And like, uh, like the Ozarks invitational last year, I was fishing for bedfish on scope and, and you follow Oklahoma. I was, I was fishing for them up in the dirt, three feet of water on, on it. And, uh, you know, lacrosse was catching them on, you know, doing some stuff there that was really unique related to the current. I mean, I, the more. I learn about this this fishing thing and the more I watch fish behavior, the more I tend to fish kind of non-traditional because a lot of the traditional things we learned for a long time were kind of based on the best guesses we could make. I mean, really, that's what it was, is, is we were trying to accumulate enough experience, enough time on the water that, you know, when we were faced with the same set of conditions multiple times that, you know, we tried to play around with things and figure out how often they worked and how often they didn't. And, and we were trying to be the best guesser we could be. And now that we have the ability to collect the information at such a rapid rate, um, it's not about being the best guesser you could be anymore. It's just about purely learning fish behavior. And as soon as you purely learn fish behavior and how they relate to things in relation to their environment, the way that a certain lake sets up, you can find some non-traditional fish really easily on a lot of places. That's a really deep answer. I'm trying to figure yeah. out where I want to go next with this because, uh, you know, we're in the age of technology. Let's dive into the technology because you're no, you're no, uh, it's no secret that you rely a lot on exactly what is available for the anglers. Just like 99% of the top anglers are your, your MLF profile, uh, actually states that you have covered enough water while using a live scope on a trolling motor to travel from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco with miles to spare. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like you are actually taking advantage of your, uh, and I don't want to use the term lack of experience, but the fact that you don't have 20 years of the traditional patterns that you just talked about, and your advantage is in the fact that you don't have the word should in your yeah. category when you go into a tournament. Does that make sense? Oh like yeah, dude, that's, that's should be doing. The biggest factor in what has allowed me to learn so fast is I haven't learned fish behavior from the fishermen. I've learned fish behavior from the fish. I have watched them in their environment so many hours now and so many days on so many different fisheries that I'm not allowing any sort of, of old school or traditional dog talk, which a lot of that was right, but a lot of it was wrong too. And uh, I've, I've learned how to, approach these fisheries through purely watching the fish behavior. Like the, you, the best thing you can do for yourself as an angler is to, to listen to the fish and not the fishermen. I mean, if you, mm -hmm. if you just watch how they relate to things and you spend enough time interacting with them and watching how they relate to their environment, not even casting, like truly just watching them 
interact with their environment, you learn so many little things so fast. There are literally hundreds of anglers competing at the BPT Elite Series Open and Toyota Series level that have this technology at the tip of their fingers. But you have uh, back-to-back top fives in Toyota Championships. Uh, you have a third-place finish in your Bass Pro Tour event that you fished. You had a very strong uh, collegiate career using it, and you finished top 10 in the Invitationals to qualify for the BPT last year. Uh, what What do you think it is about you and a couple other guys with everybody knowing how powerful this technology is that has allowed you to consistently be better than anyone else and beat 99% of these guys doing it? Oh man, it's getting, it's definitely getting harder and harder by the day just because everybody finds the fish now. Like there's no, I mean, look at the open from Okeechobee. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I've, I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. I was right and, in the middle of it, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And there's, it's unbelievable how often everybody finds everything anymore, mm-hmm. especially in big field tournaments, like, like opens, like Toyotas, like, mm-hmm. like the invitation I'm about to fish here at Rayburn this week. I mean, it, they get found so fast anymore. And I think a big part of it is like, you know, there's two different directions you can go with learning how to utilize forward facing sonar. And, and one direction is, is what I would call like the Dakota, Michael Neal, Jacob Wheeler angle, which is the angle where they're around a million fish all the time. They're trying to move a lot and they're not as, as focused on, bite percentage purely as they are just staying around the biggest population of big fish they can at all times. Um, and mine, my angle is a little bit different, which has served me well. And it's something that I, you know, I'm starting to try and make an adjustment with because you have with every fish counts format, you have to be around a large population. It just doesn't, it doesn't work without it on certain fisheries, you know, Santee, you follow my, my approach will be a little bit better than a place like Toledo Bend or Dale or the St. Lawrence river. But my approach with forward-facing sonar is generally like, I want to be the scalpel, man. I want to catch everything I find. Every single fish I find, I want to catch it. And which leads me to making a lot of tackle adjustments, a lot of technique adjustments, and really taking the time to dial in what I'm doing on that fishery that week. I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. For a certain pattern on a certain fishery, at any given time, there is one bait, one bait, one rigging, one color, one profile that is significantly better than everything else. And if you take the time to figure it out and, and really dissect it from a mathematical standpoint and just say, hey, you know, I, I tried this head. I threw it 10 fish with this head in this profile. I got four bites. I switched to a different size head. I threw it 10 more fish, separate fish, and I got seven bites. I repeat this process with both heads over the course of two hours and the, the numbers play out. And then mm-hmm. I keep working my way down. Okay, I've dialed in what, what size head I'm using. Now I'm going to dial in what size profile I'm using. You know, what am I using three, four, five inch profile or like, like let's say a drop shot. Am I using a shorter worm, a longer worm, a, a really straight tail worm, or am I using more of a finesse worm type deal? And I'm just going to walk myself through all of those, you know, which, you know, am I spine hooking the worm? Am I nose hooking it? Am I, am I Texas rigging it? Am I throwing, you know, a 16th, eight, 316th quarter ounce weight? And what size line I'm throwing it on just based on how that changes the way the bait moves through the water. I mean, as soon as you take the time to just X, Y, Z it really hard, uh, you can figure out, generally speaking, you can figure out the best technique, the best profile to catch them on everywhere at all times. 
and you're you're basing that based on hundreds of hours of looking at how bass respond on live sonar, whether they're aggressive, whether they're chasing it, whether they're neutral to it. Do you believe that there's a fish that you know is a bass on forward-facing sonar that is not catchable? Or in your opinion, what percentage of bass, once you've identified that it was a ba- that it's a bass that you're putting a bait in front of it, what percentage do you believe are catchable? If you take the right approach uh, to catching those fish that you're fishing for, I would say roughly about 80 to 85%, somewhere in that range is catchable on any fishery at any time. You know, so we're talking four out of every five bass are catchable. Um, Now this, that ratio does change depending on where you're at in the country though. The couple places that I've seen that not be the case, I've seen it not be the case at the Harris chain for sure. Um, I've seen it not be the case at Chickamauga. I've not, I've seen it not be the case at the St. Lawrence river proper, not the lake, but the river. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it not be the case at Lake Hartwell. And the one thing that when I look at the four times, I've seen it not be the case where truly no matter how many adjustments you make, how many different baits you throw, how many hours you spend re-rigging your stuff, you can't, you can't make them commit. You can't make 80% of them commit. And regardless of how well you dial it in. And the one thing those four places all have in common, the Harris Chain, Chickamauga, the St. Lawrence River, just the river in the summertime, and Hartwell is fishing pressure. And as soon as you start annihilating a fishery with fishing pressure, you make it really hard on yourself to catch those fish really fast. And I mean, no matter how hard you try, you may, I'm still convinced I dial it in better than whoever else is out there that week most of the time in terms of just getting the most fish to commit to eating. But even though it's better, those type of scenarios, you can't get the vast majority of fish to bite. So you get a fish and you're throwing a, a standard. What were you throwing at, uh, at Toledo Bend? A ball head with a, a big bite, uh, mm-hmm. four-inch jerk minnow on it? Yep, that's what I was throwing. Okay, let's say you throw that. Fish <clears throat> doesn't respond to it. You're still, you're going to just start your process of working through until you find something that those fish react to instead of just going, Oh, that one's not going to bite. I'm going to move on to the next one. And then you're going to apply that to the next fish and the next fish until Mm -hmm. that pattern emerges. So your, I wrote this down, your bite percentage, your success is based on your bite percentage, the percentage of fish that you see. And we're talking forward facing sonar. This is a forward facing sonar. You are a forward facing sonar fisherman. You're talking a bite, your bite percentage and your success is based on the fact that you're able to get more percent of fish to bite than the average angler that is also utilizing forward facing sonar outside of the freak shows, the wheelers, the meals, those guys who tend to get on bigger schools just because they are who they are and they're casting around more fish. Yeah. So mine is, like you said, it's purely bite percentage and that's, it's a forward facing sonar only kind of thing. Like when you use forward facing sonar, what it is, it's an information collection device. It allows us to control all the variables around us and understand exactly what we did on every approach, every time, all day long, every day. And so through that information collection process, if we look at it at a very mathematical angle and we say, I'm, I'm going to have three different heads, I'm going to have them, you know, all with the same profile. And over here, I've got the same head with three different profiles. And I'm going to work through that process and you just look at it from, I'm going to throw an X number of fish, see X number of committals or non-committals. And, you know, obviously there's some times where it doesn't, you know, you got to omit it an instance, you know, if you're running this, what we'll call experiment and you have one, let's, let's talk about 
throwing like a, a shaky or something mm-hmm. and you're going down the bank and you have one that you see 15 feet out from the boat and he starts coming up to look at you and you just drop your shaky head down and he doesn't eat it i don't see that as a true instance because that fish was interacting with you in some way shape or form we're talking about controlling the environment and making sure the fish aren't aware of your presence if they're not aware of your presence then you can just run this this whole process and just dial it in as best you can you know i why if i have the choice why would I want to have to find 200 bass to catch 10 of them when I can choose to find 30 and catch 10 of them, you know? And, and so in that, that concept, maybe somebody else finds 200 bass and they catch 10 for 200 and they find 300 in a day. Okay. They're catching 15 bass. Well, I found 70 fish in a day at those numbers, but I'm, I'm catching 10 out of 30. And so in that 70 fish, I caught 23 bass um and and that's just the raw math of it like if you just look at it from a very a very raw you know this is what it is i've thrown an x number of fish and got x number of committals standpoint you can make a little into a lot really fast do you think it helps that that I got so many directions that i want to go we're going to go all those directions drew because this is fascinating stuff for me if you're cool with it uh oh yeah dude okay so do you think it helps and i know you room with uh with matt stefan and your buddies with him and he was i was talking to him a little bit and he's like dude the guy's like just committed like that's part of the reason why he's so good is he's just committed like he's gonna go scope and he's gonna scope where he's like i'm splitting up my practice and i'm gonna go check and see if the shallow bites there and then i'm gonna go see if the pre-spawn bite on the secondary points are there then i'm gonna go see like if the traditional stuff and he goes by the time i've narrowed it down and it's time to go scope he's like he's already got two days on me because that's all he's done so you go to the fishery 100 you put the trolling motor down and everything mm-hmm. is forward facing sonar from the first cast to the last cast and yep. you ignore all, all of the s- noise i guess the stuff you read about in bassmaster mm-hmm. growing up the stuff you read about in classic patterns and all that yeah but how okay here's the question then how do you know where to start because uh from the outside it looks are there patterns within the randomness as far as hey this is a high percentage spot where i'm most likely going to find fish? absolutely Okay. Absolutely. And this is where what we used to, you know, what we initially understood about bass behavior and the ability to use forward facing sonar kind of collide. Mm -hmm. So forward facing sonar in and of itself, you can go stare at it all day long every day. And if you don't understand how to consistently view a fishery as a systematic thing, where in most fisheries, let's just talk about reservoirs because it's the easiest to understand. Uh, with a reservoir, you're generally going to have three sections of the lake. In any reservoir, you're going to have three unique sections. And each of these function is their own lake. And this is where we talk about map breakdown and understanding that based off the conditions, the water clarity, the time of year, and the forage in the fishery, where to, to go to try and start looking for fish. I mean, like I, I use scope all day, every day. But that doesn't mean like people, when they think about using forward-facing sonar, they think offshore, light line, out in the middle of the lake all the time. And that's not the case. I catch them. I, I made over half of the checks that I made last year within 20 yards of the bank using forward-facing sonar. Like I am just trying to find the population, whatever the, whatever the lake I'm on, I'm trying to find the majority population of big fish. 
applying forward facing sonar to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I, for, before I drop the trolling motor, it's the same process as it always was, which is looking at the conditions, the water clarity, the lake level, the, the population in the lake, uh, the forage base, the, the amount of cover in the fishery, and just breaking it down from that sense and saying, I'm going to start looking in these kind of places. And you just work in a systematic sense with the finding fish too. Like, you know, if I think they're going to be in the back thirds of, of run increase, I'm going to find places that have, you know, seem like they build topography wise, build to have a run in. And I'm going to run four places in that section of the lake in a row. And if I don't get bit out of any of them, I can throw every single one of them in that part of the lake away. And then I'm going to the next thing and I'm running them and I can throw it away. And that's where forward facing sonar comes in because we technically, we didn't used to be able to throw anything away without being extremely thorough with our presentations and how we set up on these areas. It, which meant you probably had to side scan through and find where you thought they were going to relate and mm -hmm. then, you know, let them settle down for a bit and then have six or seven different presentations on the deck and hope that you got all of those presentations and all their little details right just by guessing. And then you'd run that process. But, you know, the, the process of running the back third of four creeks pre, pre forward facing sonar between idling time, letting them sit, and throwing multiple different presentations, that was a process that's probably going to take you about three to four hours because you, you, it'd take you 45 minutes to an hour to fish, you know, a 200-yard section with multiple different presentations to be thorough enough to understand if what you were doing was really the right thing versus now. we Now it's just about, like, <clears throat> understanding, okay, if I pull up and I, I look at four of these places and they're not there, I don't have to worry about it. I don't even have to make a cat. Like, and it just, it's just an efficiency device. And so it's allowing me to pull up and do the same process just way, way faster. And somebody from the middle of nowhere that's not fished these places for 20 years can pull up and in three days understand the fishery by going at it in a systematic sense and, and looking at a few of these places in a certain section and then looking at a few different places in that section and just repeating the few different places process until I figure out what the main deal is in that section. And, you know, if I can figure out the main deal in every section, more power to me. Those are generally the, the greatest tournaments. I mean, at Lake of the Ozarks last year, I figured out my deal both up lake and down lake. And even before the tournament started, I was sitting there rationing my fish because this was a this was a bed fishing tournament too. Or at least it was right around the spawn. Not every fish I caught was on bed. But like I was rationing fish before I even started the tournament. I was like, day one, the wind sets up for me to go up lake. So I'm going to go up lake. Went up lake, caught 19 pounds. Came back down. I was like, okay, day two, the wind sets up for me to go down lake. In, in this practice, I hooked one fish all practice. Um, so now, and I wasn't seeing them with my eyes. I was just seeing them with scopes. Second day, wind set up for me to go down lake. I went down lake, caught almost 19 pounds. And then the last day, I, I ran both of them, caught a good bag again. Like, it, it, when you can take the time to break it down in a very systematic fashion, you can figure out every section of the lake way faster than we ever could before. But you got to take the it's just fishing out of it because like growing up this is the biggest thing in my opinion that's driven me to do what i do and fish in the manner that i fish which is watching guys like jacob wheeler michael neal you watch guys like like alton jr's been the last couple of years they have taken the it's just fishing it's not just fishing anymore man they catch them every tournament every single tournament all year long they catch them and if you don't view it as it's just fishing anymore if you view it as no matter where i'm at when i'm there if i just take the right approach and i break it down 
in a very systematic sense, then when I do get to that point where it makes enough sense to me due to the system I've established, when it makes sense, bam, I already have an established system that I apply everywhere I go. And so once it makes sense, I'm good. I'm off and running because as soon as things start to make sense, if you have a systematic process that works in place, it's going to work every time. Uh, we're about halfway through the best show of 2024 for BTO. We're going to take a break with Drew Gill. And when we come back, talk more. Highly impressed, dude. Highly impressed. It's BTL. We'll be back right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler design function and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised. And the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the deep dive app today. Get that beast right there. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. All right, welcome back. BTL chatting with BPT rookie Drew Gill, fresh off of a uh, top three finish at Toledo Bend to kick things off. And if you listen to the first half of the show, I think, uh, Drew Gill is in for a lot more top tens throughout the year. Some really fascinating stuff. This is definitely by far in all of the forward-facing sonar talk, which uh, which has dominated uh, the industry early this year, even before tournaments started. Uh, every all the guys' different setups and how it fits into the sport and, and where it fits in. And I want to get your take on that. But by far the most technical breakdown of it, and why, even though you might have a thousand guys who have the same setup you're still seeing the same handful of guys that are succeeding at it. Uh, I think you cannot listen to the first half of what you just said, Drew, and and not come out of that discussion with, wow, there is 
a definite skill that is involved in this. It's not a point C cast and catch. And does that, okay, be honest with me here. Does that piss you off because you're a forward facing guy? You do it exclusively. <clears throat> you have to hear the, the scuttlebutt around going, Hey, he's, he's a live scope guy. And it takes away when you're laying at bed at night. Does that, does that keep you awake at night? Knowing that people are saying, Hey, the only reason you are where you are is because of technology or do you agree with them? So man, that's, it's not something that keeps me up at night, but it is a conversation that like none of us can ignore in the industry. You know, it's, it's a very prominent, you know, high profile conversation, but like, you know, looking at it from just a raw sense, when I step back, we're in the year 2024 high level bass fishing has been around for, I mean, let's, let's talk about the highest level of the sports, you know, 35 years probably is what, how long it's been like a competitive sport. Um, at it from that sense all the major fisheries we have all of the cached history and understanding and experience we have tell me without the ability to control all the variables that are going on in the in the scenario and although i understand how fish relate to areas really well and and what they kind of do in certain times of year on certain places how am i supposed to compete as a kid from illinois that did get into tournament fishing until i was 17 how, without the ability to collect information really, really fast, can I compete in two days or three days of practice with somebody that's fished on a place for 15 years? Well, I, th I don't think you can. And I think that's what's pissing off a bunch of guys is that you do have a younger generation and you're saying, hey, these guys aren't paying their dues. They're not learning the process. They're not grinding for it for a decade. And here I am 20 years into a, I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. I've talked to guys. I've talked to guys oh, in yeah. the past week who said it. He said, listen. I put my dues in, I grinded it. What I've made my bread and butter at is no longer applicable. And I'm getting beat by a 21 year old from Illinois who came into this game on live scope. But what about the three decades of experience that I've put in on this, that I've put food on my table. And now this box with fish on it is meaning that I'm finishing an 80th in the points instead of cashing a $10,000 check and finishing 40th in the points. I don't know the right answer to this. I'm asking you because you're one of those kids yeah. that's coming on and that's taking checks and that's that's cashing checks. It's yeah. a weird scenario for the industry right now. That's why I'm intrigued with this because I don't know the right answer. I literally could interview a guy who's done this for 40 years and been like, oh, yeah. But then I interview you and I'm like, hell yeah, advancement in technology, adapt or die. Look at all the skill that's involved. Everyone else can have this. Drew's just figured it out because you're a smart kid. That's the part that frustrates the heck out of me is the, the kind of point and shoot or the spotlighter phrase. They don't, they haven't taken the time to understand the people that are upset about it. Truly, I, I would say at least 98% of the people that are upset about it, they don't understand the technology. As soon as you understand the technology and you spend enough time to really, truly get to know the fish in the fishery you will be upset about it because you think that it's point and shoot and it's just how many fish I can point at in a day and shoot at. The entire college field now, you look at the whole college field, go to a college tournament. I invite anyone that, that, that doesn't like LiveScope or thinks it's just a point and shoot spotlighting thing, go to a college event and drive around. Entire field, 200 plus boats will be using forward-facing sonar. The weights look similar to most tournaments, maybe a little mm -hmm. bit. I mean, there's times where it does look a little bit better than most tournaments, but drive around, 80% of the field is going to fail. 
in your opinion, if, is... if it was that easy, they would just pick it up and do it. Yeah, they're not. But everyone's still doing it though. And a lot of effort. In your opinion, Everybody's is this it. the future? Is are there going to be more and more specialists? Is this a future? What does what does the BPT? What does the Elite Series look like? five years from now is there such a thing as blind fishing anymore or will 100 percent of the fish be caught and used using forward-facing sonar as this gets more and more in because really it's been around since uh, 17 16 17 we saw scott martin's in my yeah. opinion uh jason christie won one on uh on lake st Clair. didn't say anything about it when he was cracking the tube he was using you know the panoptics with the blob scott martin had a year or two go back and watch his videos from when he won on cumberland and you're trying to figure out why the hell is this guy making 20 foot casts with a jerk bait and catching big giant fish and then you once you go back and watch it you realize hey you're scoping there's been a number of guys but it's fairly new what does it look like five years from now drew you're one of the guys that are pushing this uh into the forefront guys you know a lot of guys that use it a lot I think try and sugarcoat it and I'm not going to five years from now, it will play a role in almost every tournament one. It's an efficiency machine. How are you going to beat a man that has the ability to have true tangible facts behind everything he's doing when what you're doing is trying to be the best guesser, you're trying to be the best guesser if you're not using it. And when you're trying to beat a man that has tangible facts behind everything he's doing, because he's watched fish behavior the entire week on that fishery, you can't, you can't beat it. You can't mm-hmm. because you cannot guess your way to a win when somebody else has facts. And that's the, that's the thing, man. And another thing that aggravates me about it is guys, you know, the, the same people that are the spotlighter people are the same people that talk about how it's unfair to kids to tell them to expect to spend all this money. It costs $2,500 for a live scope and a, and a transducer. I, I worked at a grocery store for $7 an hour and mowed people's yards to pay for my boat and my, my first scope unit because I knew that a $2,500 investment was a lot cheaper than going to all these places to pre-practice for a week because I've never been there before before I go to an event a month later. You know how much money I, I sat down and did the math on this. If you were to pre-practice for a week for every event all year, Say you're fishing eight tournaments. You fish an eight tournament schedule. You're going to pre-practice for a week. That's going to cost you roughly thirty-five thousand dollars. Tell me, how is it unfair to look a kid in the face and tell them that twenty-five hundred bucks is is the reason that they can make or break their career when the the alternative is catching themselves up to speed the old-fashioned way? And you can't look at a sixteen-year-old kid in the face and say, "Hey, you have to have eight weeks of the year blocked off for nothing but pre-fishing." And you have to have $35,000 to spend on it. Because back in the day when people were figuring it out, tournaments paid a lot more. And the, the cost of living and expenses was a lot less. And now it costs me no less than 1200 bucks to even go anywhere for a week. So you don't care where you're going? Do what? You don't care where you're going. You're not doing, like I said, you're, you're kind of looking at what type of lake it is, how it breaks down, what sections it's in. You could care less what was going on before you got there. What's going to happen after you get there because a bass is a bass. And if you apply your, this is a roundabout system, but you apply your system, you, you just go to the fishery and catch the fish that you can find that week and then worry about the next fishery when you get there. Yeah, and that's one thing that college fishing really prepared me for. Is yeah, because between the homework and and the the number of, I mean, we averaged probably we fished four tournaments a year with four plus championships. So five tournaments a year with Bassmaster, we would fish 
five tournaments a year with it or six tournaments a year with MLF. We would fish uh, five tournaments a year with ACA and or four tournaments a year. So we're looking at what, 10, 15 tournaments a year. You don't have time to try and mumbo jumbo him haw around and, and get comfortable with a lake for two weeks for a tournament. You don't have any time to go there before the tournament. You got to mm-hmm. show up and figure it out. And so it, it was a very direct, fast, you know, get there, figure it out, catch them, move on system. All right. Uh, right now, the biggest thing is guys are uh, obviously unveiled on the Bass Pro Tour this past week what their rigs were. I almost feel like, in a sense, Bassmaster was kind of like, "Hey, we're watching you this year, but we might do something about it in the next in the coming years." But like, it's a right now, it is the wild, wild west. I'm Ooh. seeing. I mean, I'm looking at a picture right now of seven live scope transducers on a boat. I'm looking at Gosh. another picture right here of five 16 inch units and three 12 inch units on a boat. It legitimately looks like a spaceship. I'm looking That's at guys with thumbs up on the back of their boat with transducers off of it right here. I've got a picture with three different transducers on the same trolling motor shaft and head. Yep. Should and there I be limitations in your opinion. What should the limitations, how far does it go? Where do you determine that this is the hottest topic? And I will have yep. 20 comments in no doubt btl about another forward facing sonar show i'm sick of hearing yep. about this stuff blah 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 oh, yeah. but this know, is the issue right now in professional bass fishing you're kind of at the middle of it what are your thoughts so the million transducers and screens thing i i don't know man i mean me personally i'm a two up front two at the console kind of guy i i run one live scope transducer and that is it in my opinion, if you understand forward-facing sonar really well and you understand lakes geographically and topography-wise and understand how to find fish consistently just using 2D in your charts, plus you understand forward-facing sonar for catching the fish really well, your, your improvement that you get from adding a million transducers and screens is minimal. The maximum part of that curve of getting better and understanding is on the using it on the trolling motor actively for catching fish part. Once that part of the curve is complete and you kind of plateau at whatever skill level you end up at with it, the adding more transducers, you know, it's, it's proportionate. The more transducers you add, the less value you're adding with each one. And I just, I don't like the concept of limitations on it just because every time we decide to do an Alabama rig thing and we, we stop ourselves from, a, from progressing because we're afraid of it. You know, me personally, I, I don't foresee myself ever being a five transducer guy, but there's guys that are doing it. And if, if they progress and it, it does something that improves the way we catch fish and it improves tournament weights and whatever, you know, more power to them. But You're one deucer, right? I'm, you have four graphs, one transducer. I'm just not a big limitations kind of guy because every time we do that, we make it harder on ourselves to, to get, to make progress because there will always be those mm-hmm. that want it to be left the way that it is. And regardless of what the limitation is, it it's like the Alabama rig thing. Stupidest thing ever. We didn't understand the Alabama rig then. It was really good everywhere all year for like a year or two, but guess what? Fish get conditioned. They always do. And the fact that we have the ability to watch how they interact with an Alabama rig now, is there a time of year Water clarity and type of fishery that it is the best. Absolutely. It is almost unbeatable on, on 
you know, cleaner water fisheries in the wintertime. But guess what? It's got its box. The mm-hmm. Alabama rig is in its box, and no one is willing to admit they were wrong enough to bring it back. It's got its box. What would happen if we decided we wanted to ban a Cinco in April and May? Just because the Cinco beats everything in April and May. I mean, do are we going to do that? No. There would be riot in the streets. Why does it matter now that this thing's got five wires on it? And I understand, like, back then we didn't have the equipment to throw it that well. And we got a million of them hung up, broke off $400 worth of A-rigs before scope, whatever. But now that we have the ability to throw it effectively and understand that it's not a cheat code, the fact that no one's willing to bring it back is just people not admitting that they were wrong. And every time we slap a limitation on something, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, progress. Okay, the ability to get better and improve with time. Chill out a little bit. And so I'm, I'm not a million transistors guy, but I, I'm just very wary of putting limitations on things. I'm the same way. I've, I've talked to, I've mentioned this on BTL numerous of times is what if they're like, whoa, what do you mean you can make one pass across a point and see if there's multiple brush piles on it with the side imaging? What do you mean you can drop the troller motor and see that there's a brush pile off to your left with 360? At the same time, you said you're a golf guy, right? Why is it limited to 460 cc's for the driver head? Why are they changing the balls? Why did they start talking about these when courses that had been historically tough courses, some guys got out there and started out driving the entire course to where everything was a driver and a pitching wedge. I don't know what the right answer is. I just do a show to talk to people, some of them who want to flip wood and not know when they're going to get bit. And some of them who want to know exactly the size and fish that they're going to catch every time. But uh, I think that it's a very integral and odd time in the sport because like, like what you mentioned, it's hard to put limitations on, but I mean, dude, some of this stuff is just freaking goofy, man. Mm -hmm. We're talking $50,000 on a boat. I find it interesting that you do what you do with one transducer. Now, do you switch that transducer between perspective and forward, or you're just a forward transducer guy? Forward all the time, man. Forward all the time. So would you be opposed? Do you think it would affect you if they did institute some sort of limitation on it? Based on what I'm saying, what I'm seeing, and what you're doing, as long as they allow some sort of forward transducer, you're golden. Yeah, I, it wouldn't affect me whatsoever. But I mean, it, it's just, man, anytime you give any organization or authority the power to control how people do what they do outside of the already set legal parameters, mm-hmm. as soon as you give any organization the ability to control how people do what they do, they'll abuse it at some point. And I don't love the idea of giving any group the power to just whenever they don't like something to just stop it let's just stop it mm-hmm. pump the brake and even though i'm a kind of guy that will have one transducer probably you know will never go to four or five transducers ever in my yeah i don't foresee it at least right now in my career i just i even though i'm not that kind of guy i just don't like the idea of of giving the power to the masses to just stop and start everything when they want to because as soon as you do that you, you hamper progress because as soon as anyone wants to do anything unique or, or new or interesting, if people don't like it, they'll just stop it. All right. Dude, you're 21 years old. You made the final day of the Bass Pro Tour. You've been in that position before. You fish against a lot of the top guys uh, on the 
Pro Circuit or the Invitationals. But it had to be pretty cool dueling it out with some oh, of the top yeah, guys man. in the world on that final day, having the cameras there representing your sponsors. Just kind of talk about that final day, Toledo Bend, and being in the mix in your first BPT Derby. <clears throat> That was such a good place to start the, you know, the every fish counts format for me, just because, you know, it's not a place where you, there's some places like we're about to go to Santee Cooper and you follow Oklahoma this spring. And those are places where it's a five fish tournament, where if you catch more than five, good for you, pat on the back. Toledo Bend is a raw, every fish counts slug fest kind of tournament where you don't have to worry about, you know, how many fish you're catching or, or what size of fish you're catching. Like, you know, Am I catching three and changes or am I catching the occasional seven pound or whatever? Um, one where you don't have to think the format too hard because you know, you're going to have enough fish throughout the course of the week to go where you need to go. And it was, it was an awesome tournament to start the year. And man, to get to fish that format with score tracker and every fish counts and just, it's, it's an absolute pedal to the floor dog fight. And it felt like one step forward, two steps back, like in the qualifying round, for anybody that was watching toward the beginning of the event, like every time I caught a fish, I, I would ask for a score tracker update and Jacob had caught two. <laughs> yeah. Every time I catch one, he's caught one. I'll oh, get used to that. Like, <laughs> it's every turn of one step. It's one step forward, two steps back. And like in the last day, the championship round, I was out there catching. And by the end of the second period, I'd worked myself back to within two pounds of Dustin. And uh, I was one scoreable bass away from passing. I, I'm fishing. I start period three. Bam, catch one. I catch 5'11". I'm like, let's go. Almost six-pounder. Hanging on the scale. I'm like, score tracker update. And I'm expecting to be like, you're leading by X amount. And he goes, you're now in second place, four pounds, two ounces behind Dustin Condell. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Dude, it's it's just nonstop. And that that format is so overwhelming. But, man, it's a it's a blast to get to fish against guys I've watched. You know, I mean, you look at that top ten, it was it – was, Wheeler and Connell and Alton and Becker and and Jesse Wiggins and Zach Burge and Martin Villa, Justin Cooper. I mean, a, a bunch of guys that have been doing this for a while and, and guys that I've, you know, a good handful of those I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. And to get to compete against them, especially in a format that's that personal, because that format is really personal. Um, it, was a, it was an awesome event and uh, it was a good start to the year, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's a really hard accomplishment to uh, try and chase after, and it's something that's going to be a challenge. But if you're in any field that is a tour-style thing and your focus is not angler of the year, you're short-selling yourself goal-wise. And, I, you know, it's going to be something that will be incredibly hard to chase after with that field. But I want to try and compete for angler of the year. And to start the year off with a third-place finish, I'm cool with it. That's well stated. All right. Uh I got one more question that I'm going to give you a chance to kind of uh, let people know where they can follow you, where they can uh, watch you. I think, I think you're very quickly going to become a fan favorite, dude. Incredibly well-spoken, especially for 21. Like seriously, it's like you've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, top five in your mind right now, the Mount Rushmore of pure live scopers in the world doesn't matter what they've pure live live scopers scopers in the world doesn't matter what they've accomplished just i mean you're in that world give me your top five right now all right pure live scopers jacob wheeler patrick walters live scopers dakota 
Spencer Sheffield. And Alton. There you go. Your, your scopers, nonstop 24-7 scopers. Yep. There's your top five. Wow. That's good stuff. Uh, you have a YouTube channel? You gotta get those views I mean, up. You're way too you're way too good to not be having a hundred thousand views I on know, every man. single one of your videos. Cause I went at it and looked at it, dude. You're you're cutting the learning curve down for a bunch of guys here. Uh yeah, and I, I just I that is one thing I want to expand on for sure. It's just I've kind of overbooked myself tournament wise this year, and it's hard to find the time to edit. That is the biggest struggle. Oh, 100%. Well, you keep doing me. this, you'll be able to have an editor here in a couple of years. You'll be pulling the uh, Scott Barton, Wheeler, Brandon Politic type deal where you got the you got the guy that you're just saying, hey, throw, throw this one out for you. Because you're fishing what? You're fishing six or five invitationals, eight or nine BPT events. What else do you fish? That's a 15, 14, 15 tournament yeah, schedule. Six invitationals. Seven BPTs plus whatever team series I end up fishing at the end of the year, which is, you know, malleable based on how well you do, um, plus five Toyotas. Wow, that's a lot of fishing, dude. That's a there lot of fishing. And I started yeah. off the year with, with my last college tournament of the year, which was uh, the college championship at Kissimmee. Yeah, I so, bet they're glad that you're going to be there. After this, are there oh, a dude, bunch more guys just like you coming up in college over the next five years? Like last year in the opens, we saw what uh, JT Tompkins, uh, what Trey McKinney, what a number of those guys did. And we were like, good. Oh, we got the 20 something year old scopers out this year. We're going to see, but I mean, is it an endless stream of talented anglers that are now coming out of the college? Like, are we in a completely new world? It's unbelievable, man. Just look, people, you know, know a lot of the college events are going on sometimes, but they really don't pay that much attention. If you look at the weights, just look at the weights from college tournaments and how much they increase every single year for qualifying for championship cuts and things like that and, and winning weights. It's it's getting ugly in college fishing really fast. And it's kind I mean, of exciting you, too. Seeing, yeah, it's but it makes you good so quick, you know, getting to fish against you know, my one of my early years, I mean, I got to fish against the the graduating class that was like Rob G and Logan Parks and Griffin Fernandez and and my buddy Cole Braden and a bunch of other guys that were extremely extremely and uh, like Tyler Christie and Bailey Blesser fish for McKendry who had a million top tens like guys that are unbelievable and any tour they step out on and try and fish they immediately step out and do extremely well and like the next one we're seeing right now and that will uh, it would surprise me if he didn't make it this year is Easton Fothergill. Easton's the greatest college I've angler I've had to fish before. against my entire he's he's my age, my graduating class, and my entire college career. He is the greatest college Minnesota guy, right? Yep. Yeah, no, I've I've had multiple buddies up in Minnesota that were like, Hey, this kid's about to just smoke you. And he did in the first one, and he doesn't appear to be stopping anytime soon. He's like they think they treat him like he's royalty already. And he's like 21, 22 years old. They're like, Oh yeah, that guy just catches him. Like everywhere. Doesn't matter. Everywhere doesn't matter. If you look at his college track record, he has more top tens than not top tens. <laughs> that is to do in two hundred and fifty boat tournaments. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I do know. I'm very well aware of how that hard that is to do. Huh. Uh, where else can everyone follow your social medias, uh, stuff like that? Um, find me on Instagram, Facebook, just about anywhere you can find me. Find me at Drew Gill Fishing. Um, uh, especially, you know, if, if you guys can give me a sub on YouTube, that would be great. That's something I'm looking to expand on and, and definitely start 
utilizing more, you know, cause I'm, I'm a guy that likes to extrapolate. I'm not a guy that fits into a 30 second box very often. And so I, you know, I, I do lots of content on Instagram and Facebook, but ultimately the platform that I'm looking to, to work on the most long-term is definitely YouTube. Cause it's just, it fits my, my instructional style the best for sure. So uh, if you guys could go over there and give it a look, I would really appreciate it. Uh, Drew, before I let you go, I have one favor to ask if you don't mind since you are rooming with matt stefan for the rest of the year every every chance you get i would like you to hammer home to matt stefan how much better a gas station bucky's is than quick trip that's my only request i, I i'm not gonna do that because i agree with matt you're a quick trip guy dude quick trip's awesome oh, i'm glad we waited an hour and five minutes into this one before <laughs> you brought that up bucky's is a spectacle it's like it's like comparing you know, it's it's like comparing Bass Pro to lots of tackle stores. Bass Pro is not a tackle store. Bass Pro is a spectacle with tackle, which is a super cool thing. Yeah. And, and has been dominant in the whole industry for so long. But it's so uncomparable to anything else. You can't put Bucky's in the gas station box because it doesn't fit in that box. So it, you got to leave Bucky's out of the conversation. Not that Bucky's isn't awesome, but you can't compare Bucky's to everything else because it's such a a massive ordeal that you just can't compare. Okay. <laughs> That's fair, dude. I, I thoroughly, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Like you'll, you'll testify. We'd never talked before. Uh, I shot you a message said, Hey, jump on BTL and we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. I think we tackled some tough topics that will be, uh, that will be talked about for years to come, regardless yep. of what uh, does or doesn't happen. What is undeniable is that you are an extremely talented young angler with an incredibly bright future. Represent the uh, sponsors and the companies uh, that have put their faith in you incredibly well. Uh, I'm highly impressed. I'm a fan now and can't wait to watch you the rest of the year, Drew. I appreciate it, Matt. I, I had a fun day. So Thanks, dude. Take it easy. Yep, you too. All right, that is Drew Gill. Uh, we're going to take our final break of the show when we come back. Thoughts from the show and what we have going on the rest of the week. It is BTL. We'll be back right after this. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success in my opinion. In the last couple of years with Denali, I've had just that. From anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels, I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is gonna handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point, so make sure you check them out. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife. 
and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing, from household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. In 2023, we became a household name in the crappie fishing world thanks to Power Breaks the Game Changer. Hey, bass fishing world, buckle up, because <laughs> you're next. It's going to be fun. Welcome to the next evolution of our product line, Power Breaks Sidekick, designed to install right on your shallow water anchors. We are the first and only fishing brake company to offer a breakaway system. Just like with the Game Changer, the Power Brake Sidekick has it as well. And it's not a matter of if you're going to need it, it's when. Power Brakes, the most durable fishing brakes available on the market today. Made right here in the USA with our rock-solid two-year warranty. Hey, not all fishing brakes are built equally, and you owe it to yourself to find out why ours are different. Power Brake Sidekick, order yours today at MyPowerBrakes.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, wrapping things up in the brave new world of professional bass fishing. This is BTL. Big shout out to Drew Gill. Hard uh, tonight, guys. Incredibly well spoken. Like I said, I listened to a couple of his interviews before. I talked to Matt Stefan a little bit, but uh, it's interesting. I think we saw this coming. Heck, I mean, before. I think the first one I, I want to throw like uh, Brandon Card, Clint Davis, obviously uh, the Lee brothers in there, but uh, collegiate fishing is obviously building tour ready pros. Uh, just like Bassmasters made a concerted effort with the nine open EQs uh, as far as uh, the publicity for it, increasing the payout, although they also increase the entry fees. And making anglers fish across the country. That was one of the things that Drew Gill talked about was being tossed in a variety of different environments and figuring it out. And these guys are smart and they have been smart. And I'm sure that the same discussions were going on when Kevin and Edwin and Skeet and Aaron and all of these guys were coming up and started utilizing different tactics and techniques, the finesse stuff with the spinning rod, the side imaging, the offshore. Uh, and then before that, there had to be a generation before David Fritz when he was using a flasher that was straight triangulating and 
doing a bunch of different like it's cyclical but it's obviously easier to look at what is right in front of us recency bias right so i don't know what the right answer is i don't know what the wrong answer is but it's obviously apparent interviewing some of these guys that are at the top game i mean they're not lucking into this they have a, a system they're incredibly talented they're incredibly committed uh to what they're doing and just because it's not the normal way that we're used to catching it doesn't mean that it's a wrong way uh but like i told drew i, I see both sides of it so as a heck of an interview, uh, really enjoyed Drew Gill. Like if you go to his uh, to his fishing, he said a, a closer look at how the next generation is setting the pace. Drew Gill fishing, I think that's incredibly well set. So uh, he's got a full tournament slate. I'm currently at uh, Lake Washita practicing. Stay tuned to the uh, BassOne.com, BassOne.com, BassTalkLive.com also takes you over to it uh, for this week's schedule. That's all we got for today. We'll talk to everyone later. See ya.